Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode two of the Technological Podcast. I'm your host, Sarin, and I'm joined with my other host, uh, Avi, and we've got guest Tomash uh, Yurchik on the on the uh, episode today. Uh, Tomash is uh, a machine learning engineer here at MoveWorks, where I work. Uh, really excited to, to have him on the podcast, a little bit about his background. He, uh, he went and studied computer science uh, in Poland for both his uh, bachelor's and his master's degree. Uh, came over to Atlanta and got his PhD in computer science at Emory University. So we got some uh, Atlanta ties. He did uh, a little bit of engineering work at a few other companies, and, and now he's doing machine learning and movers. So, Tomas, great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Technological Podcast. Hey, hi everyone. My name is Tomasz, and uh, very nice to be here and share all my knowledge, which I could show, I can share with you. Yeah, happy, happy to be here. Yeah, Tomasz has got a, a wealth of knowledge, so I'm excited to to share with everybody a little bit more about machine learning. We've uh, had some podcasts around data science specifically, um, and uh, and how data scientists work. We've actually had a couple podcasts, so um, excited to to get an, a machine learning engineer on and talk a little bit about the differences. Talk about your day to day. Um, but first, let's let's just uh, start from from ver- the very beginning. So, uh, what were you doing before you actually got into machine learning? Um, before you before you got into the field of machine learning, what were you doing in the computer science field? Yeah, so um, you know, I I was I was psyched about computer science uh, starting early uh, age, you know, probably seven or eight year old, and I probably knew already then back then that I wanted to go for computer science related stuff. Uh, of course, there wasn't ML at that time; it was too early. Uh, but first, I got into uh, when when I got into college and grad school in Poland. Uh, I'm actually my specialty was in machine learning. I got into more like a system specialty, so I was working on more like the distributed systems. I was working on uh, network latencies, measuring like how to uh, efficiently measure latencies in, uh, you know, in some DSL technologies, uh, etc. Um, so it wasn't my specialty, and that's exactly how I got into my first engineering job, which was as a system administrator. Um, so I was doing more like a systems systems job, and then I, you know, slowly started transitioning where kind of you know deep learning started picking up the. Uh, the uh, the momentum, you know, I started reading on it. Uh, then uh, I got information that, you know, uh, from my brother, oh, he also did a PhD uh, in, in in the US, that, you know, there it's there's a lot of programs where you can apply for, for a PhD and that's how you can actually get more uh, background, more uh, more uh, knowledge in, in this field in machine learning. And that's how, that was essentially my start. So it wasn't, you know, like kind of a very, you know, like uh, official way, I guess. It was just, you know, like first I was into something completely different, but, you know, through reading here, they're looking like, you know, where the world is progressing, where the world is moving into more like AI type of tools. I started kind of getting gaining more interest uh, what uh, what is this thing? What this thing ML is, NLP, and and all AI related you know uh, uh, stuff. And then I started like uh, seeing like how I could grow into uh, into this field, how I could actually position myself to enter this field. Yeah. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And then as you were really finding your way into this field, and you know thinking about charting your next step in like machine learning, how did you kind of figure out what what the role of a machine learning engineer is. And, you know, like, like I'm sure it's definitely changed from when you started to like where you are now and like the, the work that you do and like your day to day and just like the overall scope 
of the job. So I'd love to hear kind of like that evolution as well. Yeah, that's a very good question. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, the, even if you look at the PhD in, in, in the field, machine learning, which is just one of the fields where you can just, you know, get PhD in, uh, even this one field has a lot of subfields. You know, there's a lot of like math, theory background of ML. There is also a lot of like, you know, practical uses of how to actually apply machine learning to solve some problems. So my PhD, uh, um, what I always like, my kind of background comes from, uh, you know, com comes from the idea that I, I love building stuff. I really, you know, like love building something, what people can use or anyone can use, you know, you can visually see what has been built. So I always kind of knew that I would like to apply ML to build some stuff. And, you know, it happens to be that that's where ML kind of crosses engineering. So my PhD, essentially, uh, you know, I started like looking when I came to, a, to, to the grad school in Atlanta, I started looking like what kind of real world problems I can uh, try to solve using machine learning. And, you know, like uh, my, my PhD was about question answering, about uh, one of the most unsolved and, and, and hard, hard, one of the hardest problems in, in NLP and machine learning. And that's where I started building my, my, my background. I started, you know, looking like what kind of problems there are, what kind of challenges there are, which are not specified yet, how to maybe approach them, et cetera, et cetera. So my PhD was kind of, you know, very unique mix of uh, machine learning, NLP, and uh, information retrieval. It was essentially cross domain of all those fields. And, you know, do you mind, um, sorry, mm -hmm. do you mind just kind of like, you said it was like one of the hardest problems, right? So do you mind just kind of like saying what that problem was? I'm just curious to hear. So. Yeah, so, uh, you know, question answering is like the umbrella of problems where uh, you search for answer for any type of questions. You know, if you think about like starting like very simple, when, uh, when did Barack Obama win his first uh, president, uh, presidential run, right? So there's a one date which you can tie to, and this is like something what you can perhaps very quickly find an answer. But, you know, you, 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 then you start kind of traversing to like much more challenging type of problems. For example, uh, you know, uh, if you asked, uh, when did Rosemary Rachel? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of you know from the from the, from the Friends TV show. Uh, the answer is much more convoluted. You have to go. You have to understand the context. You have to you have to understand the characters. You know, have to know that this is a TV show. Perhaps the answer is actually in the script in the in the script of the show, not actually somewhere on the website. So, question answering is essentially you can define that having any type of question, which usually is represented as a query. Uh, find uh, answer, which could be, uh, which find any context, which could be provided as an answer to this. So it's essentially go and find something and then uh, validate that this is a proper answer and provide uh, uh, to the user um, as, as the context to the, to the question which user had. Yeah, that's, that's a super interesting problem because like, you know, to your point, context is so important. And, you know, you know, question answering, like sometimes people can ask very straightforward questions, but, you know, in your, in your point about like, you know, Ross and Rachel, like you have to have a lot of context. And then, you know, when people describe things like their problems, like, you know, I, like I was just trying to figure out how to get my camera to work on this. So I typed in like camera not connecting to, to, you know, QuickTime or something like that. Right. Or people sometimes describe their symptoms uh, when, the, when, you know, their symptom isn't exactly what they're looking for as an answer. And so, you know, it's a very interesting problem uh, to work on. And, and uh, you know, I want to dive a little bit more into question answering a little later, but just thinking more broadly about all the different areas uh, in machine learning. So, you know, question answering is, is, is like one path, one area uh, of machine learning. What are some other areas? You know, there's computer vision, I've heard, um, but like, you know, what are some other main problems and domains in machine learning that engineers go into? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. So, you know, NLP is one of the domains where ML has provided significant amount of progress in the last 10, 20 years. All those like beefy, you know, GPT-3, all those like bird language models, just like thanks to uh, ML being applied in NLP. Beyond that, again, as you mentioned, uh, Serene, uh, vision, computer vision, there's a huge, huge progress, you know, uh, right now in happening in computer vision. All the advances we've, we've seen recently being applied at uh, autonomous driving, and image recognition, which 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 is making tremendous you know uh, impact in medical field. So computer vision is, is 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 another big one. Computer security. We started actually looking at the computer security security of systems from the ML perspective, trying to model behavioral systems. We'll try to essentially like looking what user is doing on a computer, how likely the the the, the user is, is is falling into some rabbit hole that you know like maybe malware or or ransomware is actually doing something on on a, on, a, on a laptop or on on a workstation. So computer security is actually right now seeing a lot of a lot of you know hype with ML where people try to build those systems that predict whether there is a certain risk at the moment happening. So we have to cut out the access to the workstation. Uh, there's also, you know, many more, there's quant, there is, you know, finance, fintech. So um, I would I would think like, you know, right now in medical field, like pretty much like medical field, of course, has a lot of image recognition, et cetera. I would say right now ML is like kind of a framework and it's being applied honestly to all types of problems. Some of these problems uh, we can divide exactly like in domains. Text, vision, these are the main data sources. You know, soon, of course, people want to map human brain. Maybe sometimes we'll have another domain when we'll work build ML systems based on like the signals of neurons and human brains, et cetera. Right now, it seems like a lot of those domains are positioned around text, around vision, so images, around videos, which um, in the in the very root form are the images and also like numbers. So quant, fintech, and, and a lot of those those fields, yeah. Got it. That's interesting. It's um, essentially like pulling signals, right? And trying to make sense of any signals that you get, filtering out all the bad signals and keeping all the good signals. And, you know, there's like so much more that goes into it that, that you don't really see, right? People think it's just like, oh, I can just ingest all this data and get an output. But there's, there's a lot that happens in the middle, right? Exactly. So, it's often, you know, it often uh, boils down to a very fundamental thing. How do you actually define having something? How you define, like in terms of the system, machine learning, how you define the problem? What is mm -hmm. the problem? What do you think as an input? What do you think as an output? Uh, you know, for this example of question answering, the input is a user's query. Uh, the context is maybe the entire web. Let's say you have the entire access to the, the entire web, and then the output is the, is the answer. So like, you know, in, in many systems, you try to define input output, and you try to build a uh, sometimes black box model, which essentially uh, given input gives you expected output as many times mm -hmm. as possible, the correct one, yeah. So I, I have a question about that. I know I, know, I don't wanna dive like super, super deep into this, but I am curious to hit list, learn more about like, how do you kind of think about problem statements for like any problems that you face, you know, like in your job at MoveWorks or even like in the past when you were at Yik Yak, like how did you kind of come across and like try and define the problem? And then, you know, like this is the problem and this is like what I think maybe the output should be, but like, how do you kind of think about, you know, really building that work process out as like a machine learning engineer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. So normally, you know, like when you are presented with something, some insight, maybe, you know, you don't have a problem yet, but you're looking and you're trying to get inside. Uh, normally we try to uh, try to think like, is there anything in the research? Is there anything in the, uh, in the books, which kind of, you know, resembles this kind of problem, maybe this kind of insight, you know, maybe we can uh, uh, structure 
problem, which right now we are trying to kind of structure into a similar problem in the literature. So, you know, like we try, we'll try to essentially uh, see whether there's anything in the, in the research, in the previous work, which kind of uh, is close to that, right? So uh, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's kind of like, you know, mix or match. We have to, you know, like there, there are some similarities to specific, uh, specific tasks. So uh, the first even job for, you know, for in this field is like, you know, how do you really define this as a, as a topic? is there any similarity to the previous work and if there is like how do I, how do you actually apply it uh unfortunately mm -hmm. in most of those uh problems in nowadays you know if you work on nlp computer vision uh the books they have formulas the books they have like you know what kind of algorithms that they are but like you know how do you how you how you modify those algorithms how how do you apply them uh to make them work on your task is the part of problem solving, is the part of this structuring the problem and applying the solution onto your problem. Also, we you know, like what kind of data you have, et cetera. So um, it's not always like, you know, get the model, apply it on, uh, on, the, on the data in your problem and you're done. It's actually how you define the problem, exactly like you said, how you actually define like what is the input output, having a clearer measurable uh, way how you actually execute on it is, is always essential. Uh, you know, you start somewhere, you set up the baseline, and you try to work to how you actually improve the baseline incrementally. It's you know it's it's very rare uh, that you know you will have something uh, some huge huge advancements within short period of time. Normally, it's just a long pe long period of work. We try different mm -hmm. things. Nine out of them they won't work, but like one out of ten simply it it will work. And then you try to drive conclusions. Why you think this method worked, but the others didn't? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of you know mix uh, of the science scientific method of engineering because you have to set up these processes. It's kind of all blended together where you try to apply the scientific method to solve real world problems. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's like, a, you know, that's what a machine learning engineer does is they're applying scientific method to create a hypothesis, test their hypothesis on, uh, you know, a bunch of data and see whether it produces the right output on on what it's predicting is, is correct or not. And iterating on that and, and making it better and better I actually like the way that this is heading right now. Like, uh, let's let's keep talking about like your day to day and, and roles as a machine learning engineer. Like, we can you know later on at the end mm -hmm. get to like best ways to to become one and like you know what your how your time was and your PhD and we can talk a little bit more about that. But you know, let's take a an end to end question or an end to end problem and and figure out okay, like you know what is can you give us an example problem that you have worked on or are working on? You know, what are the kinds of papers that you looked into? Uh, you know, how did you find the data set? How did you train the data set? What did you uncover? How did you like, uh, how did you iterate on it? Like, can you give us maybe an example of, a, of an end-to-end -end problem you've worked on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. So I'll try to give you like the problem and like how we approach it, like from the very early stage of R&D to like maybe some execution. So, you know, uh, what, what I've been recently working on is uh, trying to essentially, so recently there's been a lot of, uh, you know, chatter about knowledge graphs. Knowledge graphs are, are, are becoming like the essential form of how you can actually uh, organize, how you can structure knowledge, knowledge as we know humans around us into a ingestible form which computers computer systems can actually access can actually uh, understand so you know like 
in that is it's it's very simple. For example, you know, uh, if you think about knowledge graphs, like people usually think about uh, uh, Google's knowledge graph, where you know you can have like actors, directors, etc. And for example, uh, this actor played in those movies. Uh, then you go to this movie. This movie was directed by this person, was written by this person. As you can see, it's a mix of objects and relationships between those objects. It's a big network or like interconnected information. And then how those graphs are used in NLP, uh, for example, in question answering, but also in all different sorts of problems, uh, when you can find an answer in a graph, you'll try to do it. Or maybe you will use the graph to kind of, you know, uh, do some feature engineering for some of the different, different problems you're solving. Okay, so now, right now we know what the knowledge graph is. My problem, which I recently stumbled upon was like, you know, we work in the enterprise domain at MoveWorks and, you know, how we build uh, knowledge graph, how we actually organize knowledge. Um, first, you know, we started looking like, is there anything what people have tried in this in this field? You know, you start looking uh, specifically in your field in enterprise, and you also start looking beyond that. Uh, you're looking beyond that because you try to see whether there are any similarities. Uh, something what people tried in different domains could actually work in your domain. You try to, you know, like uh, read, you try to go explore, you go to papers to see how people build a knowledge graph how people structure ontology, how people approach, what is the object? What is the relationship? Um, how people then, how people actually approach building the graph, going from having nothing to having something. Uh, you know, like how people actually, uh, whether they approach building the graph from the very supervised way, uh, using, you know, a, a human superpower of like people creating that, or maybe people, uh, they created some system which mined the graph for them, you know, having some, some data sources, they actually extracted objects and relationships from, from these in an unsupervised way. Uh, and then, you know, uh, you look like how we actually apply this graph. We look like how people in different domains apply. And when I'm saying like different domains, because like, you know, sometimes you might find like, oh, your domain is kind of, you know, you, you couldn't find anything. So then the natural way is like, okay, what people tried for a similar type of problem, but in other domains, in medical field, in uh, entertainment field, entertainment is very popular for knowledge graphs. You know, there are available graphs like Freebase for, for, for like actors, for movies, for TV shows, etc. So um, the process is like, you know, you, 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 you think first the kind of there's a, there's a, there's a light uh, which says like, hold on, maybe knowledge graph would be useful for our problems for certain enterprise, for example, you know, and then uh, we think about like, um, okay, so then how we would actually build it and how you would use it. And then that kind of starts with like, you know, being like uh, how actually approach it, how to, you know, build it. And you start going through the, through the past work, through the research, you know, what people tried in this and the different domains, how people applied it and so on and so on. Yeah. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And so it's a pretty interesting problem, like, you know, how to build a knowledge graph and then how to actually like use a knowledge graph. Um, so I know, I know before, before this, Saren and I were talking about knowledge graphs, actually, and kind of like how you were building them out at MoveWorks and thinking about like, you know, like the relationships between certain things in the office and, you know, certain areas. Um, well, one thing I'm really curious about is like, after you kind of built the knowledge graph, what is kind of the next step? Like, what do you kind of use the knowledge graph for? Like, is it kind of like a, this is, this might be a gap in my like understanding, but is it like used as an index for maybe like some algorithm that you're going to run on or like, you know, like you said, like search and query, like, you know, you use it to search from and kind of what are the bigger benefits of having a knowledge graph versus just having like a, like a regular database that you pull in? Yeah. What's the alternative mm -hmm. to, to yeah. yeah, that's, that's a, that's a very good question. So, you know, in, in some of the domains, knowledge graph could give you an answer again, when mm -hmm. was, uh, when was uh, uh, Michael Jordan born? 
you can honestly find the date, probably knowledge graph. But you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, world is not as simple as we sometimes think it is, and it's it's not as straightforward as we think it is. So, in many ways, how what we actually try to do, we try to use the graph to provide alternative uh, context to something. So, I'll give you an example. So, when someone says, uh, you know, where can I find information on my HSA? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very generic question. Like, I mean, you know, if you ask like a lot of teenagers, they wouldn't know what the word HSA is. You learn it when you start your full-time job, probably that this is some health savings account. So first of all, like HSA is a health savings account. Uh, but then, you know, uh, it's just what, what is health savings account? No one knows. It's somehow related to medical coverage, right? Uh, this all is talking about something like an HR, you know, Probably something in like the, the the employee employees benefits for for uh, for uh, for for employees in, in in you know within employers. So uh, what what knowledge graph does in that case, if you can kind of model those relationships, if you can kind of you know understand like uh, that there are some concepts which are similar to each other, uh, you can actually start like providing more contexts uh, to different tasks. When someone says something very ambiguous with not a lot of context. Uh, Because, you know, when someone says, again, when was Michael Jackson born? Uh, That's a very unique, you have a clear intent of the question. You are asking for a date of the, when someone was born, you know, that this is about person. Uh, Michael Jackson, you likely know this is a name, you know, uh, there are systems Mm -hmm. which will tell you like, this is a name. So there is a very clear understanding, like what the intent of this question is. But when someone says like information on HSA, you know, that's uh, for, for, for a system, which is like, you know, very generic, like that might be challenging. HSA might stand for many different things. So what you then use the graph for, use the graph to provide uh, additional context, to provide, you know, additional uh, concepts close to what the query is talking about, which actually could be uh, instrumental to find an answer in some of the data sources you're working on. You know, sometimes the, the sources are very sparse. But sometimes the, the data sources are very dense. Like, for example, web mm-hmm. is, you know, something where you can find so much information, but it's like so packed with all other noise that, you know, it's, it's really important to filter out what is important, what is, uh, what is good for your, your type of uh, need or what is not. So um, the, the, the one thing is like the graph can, can be essentially the answer or the graph could provide supplemental information based on uh, to your system. So essentially your system will use something from the graph uh, to kind of, you know, engineer uh, the, the final solution. It will be kind of a supplemental information. Yeah. Got it. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, like also if, if you think about the space of like Google, for example, Google has tons and tons and tons and tons of resources or, or websites to scrape and, and provide an answer in the enterprise space. It's pretty interesting because, you know, each business has, their own finite set of resources to to look for things. And so if somebody's asking a, a generic question like what is H an HSA and for maybe some reason, you know, they don't have that business doesn't have a document that specifically says HSA that does, you know, that's first of all, like just doing that as basic keyword, keyword matching or keyword searching. But like actually like by having a knowledge graph to understand you know, the context of what an HSA is, oh, it's, it's medical coverage in the HR domain, you can search and pull information, pull resources based off of that context and those things. So um, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. So, um, you know, s- stepping back a little bit, this is, this is all like really, really cool. 
on just like your day-to-day basis, let's say we're talking to a, uh, you know, somebody who's an undergrad who is considering becoming a machine learning learning engineer or data scientist or, uh, you know, a a JavaScript developer, um, what, you know, what is your day-to-day like? What do you wake up and do? What are your meetings like throughout the week? Uh, You know, how, how do you, how do you do what you do every day? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So as, as a machine learning engineer, uh, it's maybe worth to right now mention like uh, what is the reality of machine learning engineer? Because like people often kind of you know uh, see that data science versus machine learning engineering, like which way to go, and you know like how do I decide? Um, it's actually you know like there is like some poop definition of both. Uh, but like what I learned uh, in this field is that, uh, companies apply different granularities to those fields. Sometimes machine learning engineer will do a lot of data science, data scientist stuff. Sometimes data scientists will actually do some of the machine engineering stuff. Sometimes they will be like completely separated. So, uh, for me as a machine learning engineer at MoveWorks, we have a pretty much well-defined kind of like, almost like a full stack definition of ML engineer. What it means uh, is that, you know, as a machine learning engineer, um, uh, let's say we will be uh, attracted by something in a product, you know, maybe, you know, product team will initiate discussion like, oh, we could try to look at that. We could try to look at this. Then we'll try to, you know, do a very early R&D, uh, you know, uh, some exploration. Can we, what we think about the interesting data, which we could drive some insights from. Can we pull some data sample? Can we find whether people actually ask for this kind of stuff? Uh, so there's a lot of kind of like, almost like kind of analysis, you know, something what maybe data analysts would actually do, right? So that also is involved in the process. When we finally get into the, you know, the kind of discussion like, oh, this is actually promising. This is something we could go on, right? So then you perhaps start looking like what the data would look like. Can I actually get some reasonable sample to, uh, to you know, to, to apply some machine learning? That also also comes with like, what is the what is the task? What is the challenge? What is the type of problem I'm trying to solve? And again, then you try to, of course, cross this with like, you know, if we can get data, how much of data we can get? Is it like thousands of samples or is it like millions of samples, you know, for a lot of different uh, algorithms, uh, different, uh, different, gra- different granularity of, the, of data uh, samples will be needed. So um, that, that's, you know, we kind of start like from a very early R&D exploration. You try to build some POC model. You try to see like, can I, can I, can I solve this problem with seventy percent accuracy or ninety percent? Because seventy wouldn't be up, up you know, up, wouldn't be uh, acceptable. Sometimes seventy is, sometimes it isn't. So you know, you try to work on this early R and D. Then you know, when the the early R and D is kind of crystallized, we kind of you know like uh, we have let's say we have some customers interested about doing something. You know, there is a lot of pull from the market. Then we try to see like you know we try to pave the way to POC. And what that means is like taking your algorithms and driving them into production. That's what very often is seen as the core bone of the machine learning engineering. You take the model, which you or someone else built on local workstation or in dev environment, and you essentially think what kind of processes and what is the process of taking this model and running it in production. On production with all the security constraints, all the you know uh, type of uh, uh, you know existential constraints, which in production environment they are. There's just much more uh, challenges. So how do you measure the model? How do you retrain the model? How do you uh, debug the model? How do you basically monitor that you know there is no degradation and, and so on and so on? How do you get insights and uh, uh, analytics insights into the model? So you know you have to think as an ML engineer, you have to think like what kind of pipelines. I need for this. What kind of pipeline to pre-process data, to featureize data, uh, to you know, like to run some tests, 
uh, what kind of processes on the production when we are deploying the model, you know, integration tests, startup tests, uh, you know, you try to define how much uh, system requirements you have for the model, how much memory it needs, how much CPU versus GPU. Actually, maybe is it CPU bound or GPU bound model, right? Like uh, all those sorts of things. So uh, the, essentially the process, usually for machine learning engineer, the process of taking the model from the prototype form, taking it to production is usually, you know, like uh, is usually done by something what we kind of, you know, agreed to call machine, machine learning engineer. And sometimes machine learning engineer will definitely work on the prototype. But in many ways, it will be this just process of productionizing the model and sending into production where there's a lot of different challenges other than just purely uh, ML from the uh, ML point of view. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, so much to unpack there. And I wish we could like go into like every single portion of like, you know, <laughs> the stage of, you know, like prototyping to thinking about like getting a production ready to actually getting a production ready and like all the different details that you think about like at each stage, it's like almost like you're playing every single type of role, like a developer role to like a product manager type role to like a QA, like test engineer type role all bundled up into one. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure like, you know, it, it comes with a lot of challenges, but a lot of like good parts and like things that you really enjoy. So uh, I'm really curious to like kind of have this question split in two ways. It's like, we'd love to hear, you know, like what are some of the most, I guess, rewarding parts about becoming like a machine learning engineer and what do you really enjoy about it? But at the same time, like, what are some things like on a day to day where you're like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this again. I, you know, what am I doing? So, yeah, so <laughs> that's a good question. So it's good to always talk about good and bad things. So, you know, what's, what's really awesome as a machine learning engineer, especially in this like full stack configuration we just talked about where ML engineer has has actually uh, visibility into all of those stages from early on to the last deployment. There's a huge sense of ownership. That's, of course, what uh, what our employer, MoveWorks, uh, puts huge, huge focus on, where every single employee at MoveWorks have to have a clearer uh, feeling, have clearer sense of what I'm owning, what I'm responsible for, what other folks can keep me accountable. And I can tell you right now, like, you know, me working on set, set, like some ML areas, some ML algorithms, I'm... I'm directly responsible for some product areas in our in our company, which means mm -hmm. like you know, salesperson can talk to can come and talk to me and like how we are doing, how this product is doing, and it's going to be directly directly tied to my uh, to my uh, work to machine learning engineering work, right? So uh, that's something what is super cool. That's something what probably I would miss from a typical machine learning like like scientist role, where you know like you're working on hard problems, very hard problems. You have an input, you have an output, and you try to find any way. Some people really enjoy that, working in those very structured environments. Uh, what I enjoy as a machine learning engineer is like being in those like heavily unstructured environments where I have to, you know, like go define the area and then push in this area to, you know, to become the owner, to essentially see, to, to make that other see me responsible for pushing this, er, pushing the solution in this area forward. So that's the most, um, that's the most favorite thing, kind of a, the clearer sense of ownership and the responsibility that people actually hold onto you. Uh, the least, you know, the least, uh, the least part which I, I, I like the least, and sometimes it's kind of like you know, big pain, is the lack of data. So mm -hmm. um, that's something you know what kind of can get you in the really bad and sad place when you you know you you, you see an exciting promise from product team. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, you and you kind of create like you know visions in your brain like oh I'm gonna use this model, that model. I'm gonna set it like that. And then you kind of suddenly, you know, being you're being smashed with like the the, the reality, of like there's no data. 
So, you know, mm. you have to probably build some heuristic first to maybe, you know, roll it out as a heuristic and collect data. So um, sometimes, you know, um, it's kind of very sad place where you're getting into that, you know, you have to think uh, really, really in a fundamental way, like how to do something out of nothing. And yeah. that's something, you know, that's something what you, not everyone is looking. And I think ma majority of people wouldn't enjoy doing. It's like, you know, you normally, you know, you, you think of like, yeah, I can, I could go there and grab this data. But often it's just, you know, if something was never, uh, was never productionized or something, you have really no data. So you have to maybe find like how you would, uh, do something out of nothing through some heuristics, through some early choices, like collect data, then maybe approach it from, from that, right? So sometimes, again, uh, those processes like which we follow, uh, they don't go according to the normal cycle as we know them from like from PhD as I know them, right? In PhD, like normally, like, you know, think that there are some data sets, there are some kind of uh, um, points where we can go and grab some insights from the data because the data is usually available. Um, but, you know, in, in our in product, in, 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 the, in the enterprise world, in the, in the corporate world, uh, the reality is, is brutal. Like <laughs> very, very often we don't have this data. And that, you know, um, that sometimes gets you into this like place where uh, you're being, you know, you're getting some, maybe some anxiety. I, I heard like people like, yeah, this, that's not what I imagine doing on, actually, as a machine learning engineer, you know, like this is a reality. Like that's what they told me I'm gonna be doing and that's what I'm doing. Like, what is this, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, that's, uh, you have to find a way how to, how to deal with it. You have to find a way. That's also the part of the learning this, in this career, in this career path that you have to actually be very comfortable in those stressing and comfortable situations where they ask you to do something out of nothing. You have to try to come up with like some solution, like how we start with this, with simple heuristic, like we use it to kind of, you know, roll it out as a pilot, like collect data and so on and so on. Um, that's, you know, also I would say the part of the learning in this process, in this, in, as, as a being machine learning engineer for uh, early, uh, for, for folks who are early in this career path, that's, that sometimes is like the, something what, what, what will define their fundamental, like how successful an engineer they will be in this career. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That's that's great. That's great. So let's say that uh, you know, we, some some people in our audience are are uh, you know really cool with uh, you know having all the impact in the world and 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 productionizing a model, and they're okay with you know lack of data, and they decide okay I want to get into becoming a, a machine learning engineer. Like they want to roll up their sleeves and and figure things out and, and become an engineer. In your mind, you know, number one, I, I guess this is a two part question. How did you get to the place that you're at today what would you you know uh, attribute um you know a lot of uh your success to to get here and then also what's your best advice to give somebody who wants to get into this field mm -hmm. yeah that's a very very good question and and i'm, I'm gonna exactly say what i how i got into and, and how, what i think is is, is, is a good way to, uh, to 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 get here so again machine learning engineering has that one third of it is like engineering. So there is a huge part of engineering inside machine learning. So it's a really unique field where you have to have basic concepts, fundamentals in machine learning. Uh, you know, maybe you're not like scientist, you're not like, you know, uh, you don't know like exactly how to turn all the knobs in the model, but like, you know, enough to, to maybe, you know, like to know the fundamentals in, in machine learning and, and, and some of the fields you're trying to step into. Uh, so um, like machine learning engineering is like a unique blend of machine learning and engineering. So how I got into this was through, uh, in my case, it was thank to, thanks to being exposed to machine learning through my PhD 
it could have been uh, masters, it could have been bachelors. You know, in our lab at Emory, we had a lot of bachelors and a lot of masters who were actually doing projects with PhDs. Uh, you know, some some research projects, but also some of those were like heavily on engineering, and that's how those undergrads and and masters were getting actually exposure to machine learning. Uh, then, if you if you want to step into this road, you have to have strong engineering fundamentals. What I'm thinking is like you know how to. In the recent, you know, in, in the recent times, like you know, there's a huge hype about Kubernetes. How to basically deploy machine learning scalable way mm -hmm. using Kubernetes, right? So you have to have fundamentals like what is Docker container. Uh, you have to know those things. You have to know those those those, those system fundamentals. Uh, you don't have to be an infra engineer. You don't have to know from from the from the principles of those, but you have to know how they work more or less and how to uh, how they how how you can use those to to get your stuff in. So um, <clears throat> thanks to me, because uh, thanks to the PhD in my case, because I was exposed to it and I had a, I had a pretty decent you know, background in engineering because I've had uh, jobs before, like systems admin or uh, software engineer. I, I, you know, I could like pretty much like find this connection really easily. Um, so the best path I think for, for college uh, students or for master's students is like try to get involved with uh, some of the NLP computer vision, uh, uh, you know, uh, like uh, maybe network security labs in your in your college, in your grad school, and try to you know approach those professors. They all they will often have projects where you can work on this and that. Sometimes you can actually even be a, a, a part of a part of the research work, which will make you end up being one of the authors in the research paper in one of the most respectable conferences. That's the immediate like you know workshop how we build this like muscle of like uh, navigating through the machine learning world. Um, that's for the that's for the ML part. For the engineering part, of course, like uh, try to uh, of course take as many classes possible is the best if your if your major is CS. Um, try to do uh, internships. For sure, it's like you know the internships are essential. I would I would say like at least one or two internships in your four four year college uh, 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 history should definitely be there because you know um, internships when you kind of take what you see is like the academic side of the computer science and when you enter the 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 the, the industry world it's kind of like it's very different but it's kind of good to have this early exposure. To this, and that's of course that's how you start building your network. You start meeting people, and you know, like which later could kind of give you very, uh, very fruitful uh, outcomes, right? So that's that's I think are, are two essentials. One, try to find a, a good channel entrance to ML through maybe the labs in your college, professors, like any people who could pull you in, and you could get close to folks who are working in this area. And the second, try to get a good engineering workshop through taking classes in systems and computer science and through internships. And then of course, like once you're looking for a job, uh, that's also is tricky uh, because right now some employees will actually list machine learning engineers as data scientists. So um, the best honestly is like, you know, if you have someone who knows someone who works in this company, you can try to get some, you know, like some uh, R&D like, hey, what actually this, what are ML teams and machine learning engineers doing in this company? Is it more like a data science stuff or is it more like ML, ML stuff, right? So you can try to measure, you can try to kind of uh, try to measure the market, like which companies you think uh, are, are good approaching for if you want to grow into this role. Um, so yeah, these are kind of my thoughts. It, it's, you know, it's kind of like you, in the data science world, you really don't have to pay that much of an attention to engineering. I know that some people will disagree with me, but like, honestly, a lot of data scientists just, you know, live in their Jupyter notebooks world and they don't really, you know, stretch themselves out of that. But like, um, 
in machine learning engineering, you have to be much more comfortable with like systems aspects and you know uh, language aspects, like uh, in productionizing stuff. Essentially, making stuff available to other systems in 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 in, in the cloud, for example, if you are building cloud cloud products. So uh, these are these are my thoughts. Like, how, what is the the right way? What is the best way to get into machine learning engineering? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. That's that's great advice, and it's interesting to hear. Actually, last our last. Um, episode was with the data scientist so it's interesting to hear like you know the difference between how she thought about you know getting into data science and how you think about getting into machine learning and yes there's some like similarities but there's also like a, a lot of differences and I, it's, it's cool to hear that firsthand um so like I, I think like one question and like this like we're coming close to the end but one one thing we really want to hear about more is like where do you see your career as like a machine learning engineer really heading and how do you kind of see that evolving with, you know, the overall field uh, itself? And like, how, how can you really position yourself to make sure that you kind of grow as the field grows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very good question. So, you know, um, recently I've started like taking more, uh, more tasks, more like challenges, like more like a tech lead and, you know, like uh, the, the kind of senior uh, engineers where I try to kind of overcome things like how to, kind of long-term growth of products which are using machine learning. So for example, you know, like uh, in my early career, how, how, what I developed is like, I was working on like problems, you know, like still defining problems, like solving them, trying to always kind of approach it like, I, can I do it? Yes, I can do it. Today I'm thinking more, can we do it? Yes, we can do it. Like, you know, as mm-hmm. a team. Um, and so essentially right now I started like, when I, when I, thi- when I think, when I think, what I would like to my career go is to go more to, into this like cross of the management and like the, the 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 the, the, uh, the tech lead position where uh, maybe not directly getting into the management people position but like you know the the, the management of the projects so like you know um, director of engineering like those kind of areas where you can kind of think like you know how the uh, find dependencies between teams is there anything we can actually use between each other like how to essentially be a, a kind of a mind how to how to build the the kind of a long term vision into your machine learning engineering culture in your company, right? So uh, thinking like how to make people, how to make machine learning folks uh, efficient. So there is no repetitive work that uh, there are, you know, good blend of folks working on, on, on those problems, like good good diverse set of folks uh, from platform, from core infra, et cetera. So um, I wanna start also helping on, you know, coaching younger machine learning engineering, like how they can, okay, essentially, how they can essentially quickly grow into the roles because mm-hmm. like you know there are some some very interesting steps what you, which you can take to kind of you know make immediate impact and like show yourself from from the from the very best angle sometimes you know people need a little bit push sometimes people will this will grow naturally out of them but sometimes people will have to people someone have to tell some, someone has to tell this to people sometimes it's not obvious mm-hmm. coming from the college background where you just go to classes you attend classes do homework etc like you know in the company uh, if sometimes if you if you don't do it like no one else is, is not going to do it so you have to just step in as a as a, with initiative and you know so sometimes you have to give people a little bit of guidance guidance and they will just grow very quickly into this role so i want to be also part of like how to how i can you know help engineers younger engineers uh to really quickly grow show impact and immediately show their value uh to the team to the company how they can uh how they can you know deliver immediate uh value to the to the product yeah Awesome. Well, it's always great chatting you with you, Tomas. Like, the, I feel like you know, time just flies every single time we uh, we talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah awesome. definitely. It was gr- great, great to chat. Great, you know, like uh, 
tell you what I what I think about the, the right way. Again, it's just uh, I feel like you know the world's changing so fast in machine learning, yeah. data science, and all AI kind of sort of like umbrella of tools. Uh, you know, we could have a chat like you know two months from now, and we probably would have like all sorts of different new ideas or or insights we could have. So uh, it was very exciting to be here and, and share all the thoughts with you guys. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll probably have to follow up with a, a part two coming up soon. Yeah, I want to. I want to dive into some of like I know I know we can't really do that on this podcast, but some of the technicalities of like the the question search because like I'm really interested to hear like you know like people ask like billions of variations of questions like Sarin might ask like how do I set this camera up a certain way and I might ask it a different way and like how do you pull like each keyword to figure out like what the question actually is and like you know like is it a, like like you were talking about is it a name or you know like what type of question it is I, I'm I'm really curious to learn more about that because I actually. I took like a knowledge-based AI class back in college. I was a computer science major, and we we did a lot of, um, a lot of like work on like figuring out like how to build like like you were saying knowledge graphs for like NLP and figuring out like how to extract words and then match them up and like look is it a verb, is it a noun, like what could they be asking, like what could the action be. So uh, yeah, that's super interesting stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, happy, happy, to, happy to chat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Listeners, get ready for part two soon. Uh, we're excited that uh, we finally got Tomash on. And if you guys yeah. have any questions, feel free to, to reach out. We'll provide Tomash's uh, contact info uh, and, and LinkedIn in the, uh, in the description. Um, always reach out to us via email if you have any questions about the podcast as well. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next episode. Cool. Thanks, guys.